Hello, this is David Rhymes, and you're listening to Episode 5 of Footnotable, a podcast about discovering the truth in the details of everyday life. Joining me as always is Oren Connor, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church in beautiful downtown Baton Rouge. Today's episode explores a topic that impacts every one of us, our need for rest. Specifically, how does Sabbath rest differ practically from other concepts of rest like meditation and mindfulness? Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes and give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to Footnotable. So, Oren, it is a brand new week here in the Baton Rouge area, uh, which means that we are at week, I don't even know, I've lost count of this uh, lockdown quarantine with the coronavirus, but on a, on a positive note, it is the day after Easter. So despite the fact that we've been in quarantine, we've been very much confined, nothing stopped Easter from happening. We celebrated that yesterday uh, with our First Baptist family. And that's been, I think, one of the, the great high points of, of this whole quarantine. Just for, for the record, to be clear, we did not meet together. We celebrated with our church family online as we have the previous, like you said, I don't know how many, week five, maybe six, five? Yeah, like something like five, that. I preached from, from in front of a camera. So anyway, it was a great day yesterday. I, uh, just the, the number of people that I saw um, either in our own church family or other churches, other Christian folks that we know or associated with uh, were interacting online, you know, quoting scripture and and. Um, it was it was encouraging to see um, the amount of people that seemed to be in a in a pretty good state of mind um, on the day on the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And as I like to always say, every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday for Christians uh, because we we gather because Christ is alive. Uh, but but Easter Sunday is always a special one when we can get together. And unfortunately, we were not able to do that. And so what I've told the church um, family, those that have asked, I said, whenever we finally get to meet together again, whenever that Sunday will be, uh, we'll try to make it an, an Easter celebration. And so uh, whether that's in a few weeks or a few months, we don't know yet, uh, but hopefully it'll be a fun day. But certainly yesterday was a, a beautiful day, at least in the morning and early afternoon it was. And, um, and it was a great time of rest and worship. Uh, certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, I honestly think this is going to be an Easter that we – fondly remember for years to come. I don't think we'll look back at this Easter and say, well, what a pity it was that we could not be downtown, that we had to be gathered around TV screens and devices and things like that. I really think that we'll look back at it and go, you know, for the circumstances and the simplicity that was presented to us because of this quarantine, we really got to put our minds on Christ and his resurrection. Not that some of the big, you know, musical aspects and, you know, getting dressed up and uh, maybe the, the decor and other types of things that, that we and other churches do for Easter is, is wrong and bad. I mean, that's how we particularly choose to celebrate the, the, the holiday. But to have all that stripped away and to have a Sunday in a long time, who knows when the last time we as a church had this kind of opportunity to just really reflect on the resurrection 
And I think it was a good thing. And I think we're going to look back and go, that was a great Easter. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. It'll be one we will remember for sure. Um, assuming that we won't be in the situation a year from now, uh, I think it's going to be one we're going to look back on and say, you guys remember that year when we were in quarantine and we did Easter from home? Um, it, it, I think it's going to be one that we're going to remember. And I think we're, we're going to look back and see God's faithfulness in it. It's not going to, we're not going to look back on it and go, oh man, that was so terrible and awful. But we're going to say, you know, as much as we didn't like that, we'd prefer to have been together. That was still a special day because we were celebrating the Lord. Even though we weren't together in person, proximity, we were still together in unity in the spirit and in the word. And so I think it's going to be one we're going to remember fondly um, in the in, in the days ahead for sure. Even though we did get to celebrate a very special Easter, we were still doing it in the context of this coronavirus outbreak. It was a great distraction, but we got up this morning and had to get back into the work and school routine and, you know, continue to receive news and updates on how things are going around the world, and particularly in our state here in Louisiana. So how are things going? Where kind of are we as a state right now as compared to where we've been the past few weeks? Okay, so so we haven't done this every week when we've updated um, the podcast. And what's interesting, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is that our the beginnings of our podcast are always going to be tied to this quarantine, right? Like, like we will always remember starting this new podcast footnotable around the time when the, the world sort of went under this pandemic and there was lockdown and quarantine and distancing and all this stuff. And so we've been sort of tracking week to week, the numbers, particularly in our own city, in our state. And as of today at noon, there are 21,016 positive cases of coronavirus in our state. Um, There are 421 more today than there were yesterday, which seems like a big number, but that's actually a little bit smaller than we've seen in the past several days. Last week, we saw days where it would jump a thousand per day. And so um, a total of 2,084 patients are hospitalized. So just think about it this way. There are 21,000, just over 21,000 positive cases, but there are only 2,084 in the hospital, which means that there are roughly 19, 18,000 plus that are not hospitalized, which is a good thing. That means that they're not so sick that they have to be in a hospital. They can be at home, which is good because that provides them the necessary resources for the people who are the most sick. Um, We have 458 on ventilators, um, which is not quite what we can, uh, the, the max that we can handle, which is good. We have room for more if necessary. Unfortunately, there have been 884 deaths in the state of Louisiana. And here's what's really interesting, Dave. I don't know if you've seen this, but um, an overwhelming percentage of people that are dying from COVID-19 are African-American. 59, almost 60% of the deaths, of the 884 deaths in Louisiana have come to African-Americans. And that's the same nationally. It's not just localized, but African-Americans are dying twice the rate that white Americans are, which I'm not sure what the cause is for that. I haven't read anything that's telling us if those are connected in any particular way. I don't know, maybe some African-American families are living in in larger uh, family units and in smaller spaces at home, possibly. Um, And so maybe things like they say hypertension and diabetes and, and certain underlying illnesses may be causing 
these deaths. Um, but that's something that I, I had not noticed until I think Friday or Saturday this weekend. I looked at that and I went, that's really interesting that uh, African-Americans are dying at twice the rate that white Americans are. So um, and that's that that's only for America. We don't know what it's like in, in, in other countries for sure. Um, one of the things that we saw uh, today is that nursing homes are really have really been hit kind of hard um, because the elderly are um, the most at risk. Um, they are being hit pretty hard. So these nursing homes are really being locked down pretty tightly. And so we certainly need to pray for the workers there. Um, there's a good friend of ours, actually, that lives here in Central, um, who, who was administrator at a pretty big nursing home here in Baton Rouge. And uh, he and his wife have not been able to share the bedroom in six weeks. He hasn't been able to stay in his own bed. He has to sleep in a separate room. He can't see his family most of the time. He comes home, takes a shower. He spends very little time with his family. For six weeks, he's been doing this um, because they're worried he's carrying things from the nursing home back home. And so uh, I just thought about like how miserable that would be to keep your job and yet come home and be more isolated than you are even at your own profession, at your own work. Um, it, should be, it should be the other way around, but it's not. And so this is still a problem. Um, the good news is that we've seen the curve flatten a little bit, which is good. The bad news is we're not out of the woods, not yet anyway. We still have a couple more weeks of really um, pressing harder on this stay home, stay healthy initiative so that we can really see the cases decline. So that's kind of where we are right now as a state in Louisiana. Um, surprisingly, from what, I can, what I've read and studied, Baton Rouge has not been hit as hard as other cities that are the same size as we are. I'm not sure why that is. Um, there are a number of cases in Baton Rouge, but it's not as bad as, as it could have been. Um, and so we're certainly thankful for that. And so, so far, um, our members have been protected and safe from this. And so we're praying that continues into the days ahead. So that's kind of an update um, for, for, pro for posterity purposes, if nothing more, this is kind of where we are on April 13th, 2020, um, in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 lockdown quarantine time. Yeah, the numbers you know do sound alarming, but as you said, we seem to be getting into that flattening the curve. And I say seem to be because, you know, it really takes a few days of numbers to be consistent to say, hey, this is actually what's happening. So we want to encourage every one of our listeners that please continue to get your best news from the best sources. Listen to what the health department is, is saying. You know, you and I, Orrin, are not medical professionals at all. Yeah. And um, just because someone spends a lot of time on Facebook does not mean that they are a medical professional, despite their attempt to uh, disseminate medical advice and things like that. So we don't want to jump the gun. I mean, obviously we want this over with tomorrow, you know, if at all possible, but we need to be willing to endure as long as, as it takes to protect as many people as possible. And it would be a shame for things to be lifted prematurely and then for us to see another flare up and have to go back into quarantine. So I know when we get news that, Hey, the, the curve seems to be flattening. We start going, okay, when's, when's this going to be done? When do we go back to work? When do we go back to school? Can we go back to church? And let's just kind of take a deep breath. Let's continue to watch the news. Let's continue to do what we've been asked to do. And eventually they will tell us. And let's not get our hopes up too high. We will come out of this, but it may not be as soon as we want it to be. So rather than artificially thinking that we're owed 
an end date. Let's just take it one day at a time. And news will come at some point that says we've, we've cleared the worst of this. It's now safe to return to your normal activities. So things are getting better, but we're still not out of the woods yet. So let's still be patient, especially as God's people. Uh, we should be able to be a example of patience for our neighbors because we're all, we're all eager for this to be over with. And just, just because I follow Jesus doesn't mean that I'm less eager. I'm very eager for it to be over with, you know, for everybody's sake, you know, I mean, I want my girls to be able to get out and play with their friends. We want to get back out, you know, to our schedules. Um, we want to see, see everyone, particularly, you know, from our church family, we want to be able to visit our family. We want to record this podcast in our sweet studio. I know. That's what we want. Yeah, all that work. Yeah, man. We do. Yeah. You know, I left my closet. It's it's nice. <laughs> but having to, having to sit in here for the time that we do, uh, I would definitely be prefer sitting across the table from you in our studio. And it's all going to come. So, you know, I'm going to take a bit of the advice that Dr. Tom gave us last week and just say, hey, let's make let's make plans. Let's imagine what that's going to be like. So that when the time comes, we have some, some concrete things we can act on, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think, and what you said earlier, we're not owed an end date to this. I think it's perfect. Uh, we think we're owed something and we're not. God's going to have us waiting here, um, knowing how we are to behave and how we are to live, whether we're in quarantine or not, we're not owed anything. So we live under that providential sovereign hand of God. And when he brings us through this, um, we will have learned some lessons. We'll have learned some new things. Um, hopefully we'll have forgotten some bad bad habits we may have developed before. And we'll be more useful in his hands. We'll be useful tools that have been refined and sharpened during this period of trial. Um, and so uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm 100% agreement with you. We're going we're gonna to make the most of what we have now so that we can be a most effect, effective and efficient uh, when things go back to normal, air quotes, normal, whatever that may be. One of the things that we have to deal with each and every day, regardless of whether it is a global pandemic, is the fact that we're all running at a lightning pace, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We live in a world right now that with each passing generation, even I, I think every three to five years now, the speed and pace of life begins to increase. And if you are living now, your counterpart 20 years ago at your age, at your stage of life, probably lived at a slower pace of life. Things weren't quite as hectic, weren't quite as stressful. We still deal with the same things, but now technology and different mentalities about how we ought to be using our time with work and things like that and productivity and getting ahead and, and ambition. It's made us cram so much into our lives, into our work with family. We are very stretched thin people and we're in very much of need of rest. Everybody wants it. 
There's no doubt about that. Everybody says that they need it. The question is, how do we best get that rest and where do we go to get that rest? We've talked a little bit uh, in different ways since we've been talking about the Sabbath over the past couple of weeks here at First Baptist. There's a big difference between the way the world defines rest and what you need for that and what the Bible does. The Bible talks about rest in terms of the Sabbath. And so we've been getting into that whole concept of the Sabbath. And it's just in a good, it's a good time right now to talk really practical about what does that mean? Because we live in a culture, like I said, that's very fast paced. And because of the technology that's, that often lends to that pace, that same technology just bombards us with solutions, apps and websites and other things to try to help us claim the rest that we're so desperate to seek. So when we talk about Sabbath rest and Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, seek your rest in him. What does that even look like practically? So we're going to be kind of getting into some of that today and we're going to do our best to take a topic that we could really go into a lot of discussion on considering the fact that this goes all the way back to day seven of creation. Yeah, we're not we're not cherry picking a passage here and talking about it. This is a theme throughout all of the Old and New Testament. There's a lot here to uncover and unpack, but we're going to look at some practical ways to find rest. How do we do it? Where do we start? If you want, if you're listening to this and you want to hear about the the biblical sort of theological foundations for understanding the Sabbath. I reference you to the two sermons that I preached the last two weeks. Um, I feel like I covered that from a biblical standpoint about why it's important for us to rest and to rest on the Sabbath in particular so that we can be effective and useful in the hands of God the other six days of the week as we're going about our labors and as our as we are parents and workers and employers and employees and citizens of this country and whatever it may be, so we can be effective in life, we have to rest. If you talk to anybody and you ask them if they need rest, 100% of every person would say, yes, I need to rest. The problem we have is we view rest as a luxury and not as a necessity. But the Sabbath flips that upside down and says, no, you need this so that you can be your best the rest of the week. And so one of the things that many, many people are dealing with, and this has physical and mental and spiritual implications, is people are dealing with restlessness. And there's a lot of causes for it. And it's largely because we are unhealthy physically, we are unhealthy mentally, and we are unhealthy spiritually. And I think the spiritual aspect of this is where it's rooted most deeply in us. And so what we have to do is ask our questions before we can go looking for answers. Sometimes we go looking for answers and we haven't asked a question yet. How can I find rest? What can I do to get rest? Uh, so let's say it's Sabbath Sunday. We'll just pick pick a Sunday in the future. You've gone to church, worship with the church family. We prayed, we sang, we studied the Bible, we enjoyed one of those fellowship, and we go home. All right. How do I rest? What do I do? Well, 
the first thing you have to ask is, why are you restless? Why are you tired right now? You may be physically tired because you worked hard all week. You know what? That's really good. If you're physically tired from doing your job well, that is an honor to God. God gave us the Sabbath so that we can rest our bodies. But it's likely that you're restless, not because you're physically weary, but because you're spiritually and mentally weary. So what I found in my own life, and this is something I had to learn how to do, and I still have trouble with it from time to time, is is asking the hard question of myself. Why am I so restless right now? Why am I not able to settle and rest in the presence and power of God on Sunday afternoon or really on any day of the week? Why am I restless in my heart? Why am I restless in my mind? We have to be able to identify the problem. Too often we treat symptoms and not the actual illness itself. And I often use the example of pulling Band-Aids on on bullet wounds, right? The band is not going to help you if you have a bullet wound. It's just not. And sometimes our apps and our programs and our plans and even the naps we get to take every once in a while on a Sunday afternoon are not really solving the problem. Because when we get up from the nap or after the app has done its job or after we've sat in the chair and watched the ball game, we continue to be restless because we're not digging deeper into our own hearts and minds to find out What's got us troubled that keeps us from trusting the Lord to rest on the Sabbath or really to rest in his promises and in his peace? We have to be able to be honest with ourselves. And I think this is a a discipline in some ways. I don't know if you agree with this, Dave, but you have to teach yourself how to be honest with yourself because we lie to ourselves all the time, don't we? Like, it's easy for me to ask the questions that I already have the, the good answers for. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just a little tired because of that. Or I'm restless because this person did something that caused me to be upset. But so often, the root of our restlessness is a spiritual issue that we're not dealing with. We have to be willing to ask the hard questions so we can find the best answers to those hard questions. The Sabbath day was given to us to not only ask those deep questions about our own restlessness, but to ultimately turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, along with his people, to find the best answers for our worst problems. And so the first step, if you're going to apply the the practical medicine to the wounds and worries of your life, you need to start with asking, what's really wrong with me? What's my real issue here before I can find the best solution to my restlessness? Yeah, we're the world's worst about feeding ourselves a story because we like to think that we have everything under control and therefore we give ourselves a delusion that we've created to try to convince ourselves that what the problem really is, isn't actually the problem. It's something else. And it's something that we can get, uh, get our hands wrapped around because we want to be in control. If we have these schedules that are just going 90 miles an hour and we're just being drained at every level, rather than saying, you know what, I'm, I'm overextending myself. I've got to cut back. You know, we go, you know, I, I just, I should uh, probably fit more time in my day to hit the gym. I can get my energy level up or, you know, I just may, maybe need to uh, get some, uh, some energy drink or some kind of power thing. There's always some solution for why we're going to ignore the truth 
and find something that we can control. And that's why it's so hard for us oftentimes to just admit we need, we need rest. And, and the reality is when we feel out of control, we typically want to hide from that and not really ask, okay, what do I want control of? And can I even have control of it? I can't control this virus, but I can certainly take some steps to protect myself and my family. That's what I have control of. So if I'm restless about it, what am I restless about, right? If I'm having trouble connecting with the Lord and enjoying fellowship with him, whether I'm at home or at, at the worship service with the other church members or whatever, if I'm restless in my heart and if I feel like I'm not in control, well, what am I trying to control to begin with? Is it even reasonable for me to think that I have control over these things? I think that's those are healthy ways. And if we know the answers and we're honest about the answers, then we can take the next step and it's okay, what are some things I can do to find rest when I'm restless? Yeah, I also think we need to to look at where are we looking for the source of our rest? Because just like we lie to ourselves, we tend to look within ourselves as the source of that rest. You know, there's a big industry in America right now that promotes self-care. And it doesn't need to be confused with take care of yourself. You know, things like get enough sleep, eat healthy, get some exercise. Those are things we should always be doing. But self-care is this idea that you have it within yourself to diagnose a problem and then dig down deep within your inner being to find the solution. So you become the source for your own problem. There's something external that's, that's, that's bothering you, that's, that's keeping you, in this case, from, from being at peace, at rest. And so just dig down deep in yourself and identify what that is that you bring to the surface so that you can provide the source and the solution for your restlessness. And so we want to be looking at both of those and being honest with ourselves. Are we telling ourselves a lie? And are we looking to ourselves as the source of our own rest? Because both of those fall not just a little bit short, they fall extremely short. They ultimately are going to be completely unsatisfactory because we can only lie to ourselves for so long before we just run out of lies or the lies we tell, we don't even believe them anymore. We just kind of embarrass ourselves by telling the same lie to ourselves over and over again. And then we come to a realization that whatever it was that I was digging down deep to get in myself, that's inadequate. Why? Because we keep coming back to the same problem. The restlessness has not gone away. And so we're never going to see those things be adequate to address this. And so we want to be make sure we're looking at the right kind of diagnosis and the right kind of source. I agree 100%. Being honest with ourselves and where the answers are really found and the, the best answers for us is where we're going to find our rest. Because digging inside my own heart to find the answer to the problems that are in my heart um, is digging in an empty well. I need to go where there's actual peace and wisdom and hope and rest. And that can only be found by faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That's why we say we rest in the Lord, whether it's on the Sabbath day or any day, we rest in the Lord. Now, Dave, you 
uh, touched on this a little bit in an article you wrote today on Facebook, kind of following up with the sermon about about our need for rest. And and just if you want to just take a moment and briefly explain a little bit about what it means to rest in the Lord. Ultimately, I, I would say, I guess to to um, summarize it, ultimately what it what it means to rest in Christ and what he's done for us. If you could talk about that just, just for a minute, kind of sets up the rest of the, of the kind of the next steps for us, the practical things we can do to 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 do restful things, I guess, when we're looking to rest in the Lord. We are beings that need rest. We were created, in fact, to rest. Okay. We go all the way back to Genesis, that seventh day, God resting. That is also meant for us as well, us to rest in him. So we're not creatures that are meant to just go like the energizer bunny and just never stop. We're meant we're made to rest. But the thing is, the world has a different perspective on what rest is than what the Bible has. And the world tends to compartmentalize us and our needs for rest. And so the, the world looks at our physical need for rest and provides solutions for that. Then it looks over at our mental need for rest and it provides solutions for that. It looks at our emotional need for rest and attempts to provide solutions for that. The problem is we were not created as compartmentalized beings. We were created as a whole being in our body, our mind, our heart, all work together. They're all interconnected. And so when we attempt to find rest in ways that is that are not addressing us holistically as God has created us, then they're always going to fall short. And so the only source that actually addresses every aspect of who we are is Jesus. He addresses our need for physical rest, mental rest, emotional rest. But he goes beyond that because God actually understands who we are because he created us. And he knows that because we are his creation and we are his fallen creation, that we sit under his law. There there was no law as we have it today before the fall. We had some really, really basic rules there in the garden. Okay. You know, be fruitful and multiply, look after creation and don't eat from that one tree. That's really it. But because of the fall, we do have the need for the law to expose our sin, to give us the standard of God's holiness. And that law then becomes a burden to us because we can't fill it. And one of the greatest issues of weariness that we we feel as human beings, whether we realize it or not, is the fact that we are so tired day in, day out of trying to fulfill God's law ourselves. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or non-believer. Every human being does this. Every human being is trying in some way to be the best version of themselves that they can be, whether you acknowledge that you're under God's law or not. And the process is just exhausting because we always fall short, we always fail. And so one of the things that is unique about the rest that Jesus provides for us is that through his death and resurrection, 
He now gives us not just physical, mental, and emotional rest. He gives us mercy and grace so that we can rest from the burden of trying to fulfill the law for ourselves. And that is a whole different level than what anybody else offers. So we're not just talking about finding our rest in Jesus as an equal substitute. Okay. You can either have Jesus or something else. Both are valid. We just encourage you to follow Jesus and get rest in him because that's kind of our tribe. We're not talking about that at all. We're saying that the rest that Jesus provides is fundamentally better. It is far superior than anything we can see offered to us in the world. So the message from scripture as it relates to to rest and the Sabbath rest is you're going to get it from one place and one place only. And that is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, those three words, it is finished, have eternal significance for any soul who trusts in Jesus. And you can open, you, you can go to a bookstore and the largest section is going to be the self-help book, the self-care section, right? And you can get to the end of every one of those books and you can read the last page and what you will never find are those three words, it is finished. That author who told you how to find peace or rest or hope, joy in your life is going to write a follow-up to that book because the work of striving is never over in this life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter your station in life. We are, if we're seeking to be the best version of ourselves, we will always be dissatisfied. We will be incomplete. A whole person is a person who's been made holy by Jesus. Therefore, we have to trust in the finished work that he's completed for us. If you want true rest, from all of your labors, but also from your failures, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only way. And you can check with anybody who's done it both ways, and every believer who's tried it the world's way will tell you Jesus is the only way. Not not just a better way, the only way, because everything else is failure. You are constantly trying to keep your head above water, and you can't swim. Jesus rescues you out of the water completely and sets you up on a place where he did the work, you get the blessing. If you won't rest at the end of your day, on your Sabbath day or on your crazy Thursday, whatever it may be, if you want true peace in your heart and mind, you have to know that the work, the hardest work to be done is to be perfect. And only one man's ever done that, and that's Jesus. He is God's complete and total healing of your rebellious heart, of the sickness that plagues us and our restlessness to achieve and to strive and to accomplish and to be whatever we think we can be. Jesus is the one who fulfills and completes God's law perfectly for our sake so that by trusting in him, we can have the best kind of life. doesn't mean a a sickness-free life or a trouble-free life or a debt-free life. There's still going to be those those worldly problems we're going to face as long as we live in the world. But there's peace. There's rest in the midst of those things because we know Jesus Christ has finished the work that we strive to do on our own and we just can't accomplish with our own strength and power. All right, so let's talk a minute about um, 
about how we can practically find rest. And we're just going to kind of just talk briefly about these things. These are just some things that you can do to find rest. If you've, if you've identified why you're restless, why you're having trouble resting, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ and you know, you believe that Christ has finished the work of righteousness for your sake. And as I often say, belief shapes behavior. Your behavior is going to flow out of or come from what you believe, right? So for instance, if you believe you're in danger, then your behavior is going to reflect that you believe you're in danger, right? If you believe that you're safe and at peace, then your behavior is going to reflect that, right? And so if we believe Jesus has done the work for us at the cross and at the empty tomb, well, then our behavior should be shaped by who he is and what he's done. Therefore, when we're seeking to find rest and we're having trouble doing that, we have to go back to Jesus. We have to go back to God's promises. We have to go back to God's provisions for us. We have to go back to God's presence. Those, those three Ps, pr pr promises, provision, and presence. The presence of God reminds us that Jesus died, rose again, and is with his people now. And so one of the things that I, I, I will tell people often is if you want to find rest and you're troubled in your heart and your mind, fight that with better words. Fight that with better promises. You may be in an argument with yourself about what's true. Well, if you're having trouble deciding what's true, go back to what you know, what you believe is true, and that's the Word of God. Go back to the Bible, read the Word of God, remember what God has told you, what God has said, and anchor your hope in that, and you will find better rest for your soul, better rest for your heart and your mind. And what I often tell folks is take a section of Scripture, take a, a few verses or a chapter and read it, and then read it again. And then write down what you observe. Take a piece of paper or a notebook or a tablet or whatever. Get you a pen or a pencil, whatever your favorite writing instrument may be, and sit down with some paper and the Bible. That's it. No phone. You don't need all that stuff. All right? And just read the text. And you don't have to be a theologian to do this. And just write down what you observe. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a lady in our church who was reading these Jesus Calling devotional books, which is, is garbage. But she'd been reading it. She had a stack of them in her house. And she was having trouble with her daily devotions. And I said, well, part of your problem is you're reading the wrong stuff. And she said, well, what, well, what should I read? I said, read the Bible. She said, just the Bible? I said, yes, just the Bible. <laughs> and I said, here's, here's what you do. Open to the Gospel of John. Get you a notebook. Read the first chapter of John and write down everything you observe. She texted me the next day. She said, I have six pages of notes on one chapter from the Gospel of John. And I said, if you do that every day, your understanding of God's word will deepen, but you're also going to find your faith growing in the Lord who gave you that word. So if you're having trouble with rest, spend some time with God. And the way that we spend time with God is in his word. We see what he said. We read what he said. We hear what he said already. And then we, we record these observations we make, particularly in how they apply to our lives. And what you're going to find more often than not is if your heart and soul are restless because of whatever is going on in your life, there's going to be a, a healing medicine in the word of God. It may not address your problem directly, but it's going to do something to strengthen you and to give you hope in the midst of whatever's causing your lack of rest. And so I want to encourage all the listeners if you do this, I guarantee you it will be a benefit to your life. I don't guarantee a lot of things, 
in my life because I don't know what tomorrow comes. But I can guarantee with 100% certainty that if you spend time in God's word, learning from what he has said and who, who he is, what he has done, your life will benefit from it. And I can promise you that there will be moments when your restless heart will be brought to, to comfort and to peace and you will find ways to rest. So if it's on a Sunday afternoon and you've come home from worship, or maybe you've turned off your screen and you're still stuck in this in this lockdown, spend some time in the Word of God, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it is. Read it, observe it, and you're going to find God speaking to you in ways that maybe you've never seen before. And that's going to give you an ability to rest. And I would follow that up with pray the promises that God's given you. You read God's promises, you read God's word, spend time in prayer. If rest is, is the, if the Sabbath rest is for fellowship with God, well, then fellowship with God and reading his word and praying to him. So read, read the scriptures and then pray the things that you've observed. God, I know this about you. I want this to be true in my life. God, you've commanded me to do this. Help me to do this by your spirit and by your power. God, you've called me to love these people or do these things for these other folks in my life, whatever it may be. And, and apply the promises to your prayers. I often say that we pray for a lot of things that aren't promised and we neglect the things that are. When you're praying, ask God for whatever's on your heart, by all means. But don't neglect the clear promises. God said, I will give you this if you ask for it. If you need peace, ask him for peace. He will give you peace. And you find that right there in the word. And so, so know the, the, the promises of God in the word and then pray them. When you're finding, when you're having trouble resting, and so when you get up on Monday morning and you're back to your life of work and, and parenting, and uh, or perhaps you're a child at, at a house somewhere, and and you go to school or you go to work or whatever it may be, you you have these promises anchored deeply in your heart, so that when those difficult times come and you become restless again, your mind recalls what's hopeful and what's right and what's good and what's noble. And you're setting your mind, you're being mindful, not in a worldly way. You're being mindful of who God is and who Jesus is and who the spirit is working in your heart in those moments. I think that's a way for us to find true rest in the finished work of Christ and in the complete and holy word of God. Yeah. And that is very different than how the world approaches these things. You know, these are some very simple, practical things that you've mentioned, Orrin. But just to give a compare and contrast to some of the things that the world has put out there, things that have become very mainstream and have even crept into the church in recent years. And those things are meditation and the concept of mindfulness. Uh, meditation longer than mindfulness. You can go back to many, many years where people have talked about meditation as a way to kind of bring that centeredness and that peace and things like that. And it often said, well, the Bible talks about meditation. I mean, after all, there are many passages in scripture where we are commanded and encouraged to meditate on God's word. But we have to understand that we're dealing with two completely different definitions of meditation. What the world is throwing out there is sort of this emptying of the mind, you know, just sort of let everything go and just let kind of the, the piece of whatever it is kind of wash over you. And that's going to begin to calm some anxiety. That's going to begin to give you some, some mental, some emotional 
rest. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it says to meditate on God's word. The Bible is not talking about an emptying of the mind. It's actually talking about full engagement of the mind when it talks about med- meditation. It wants us to read and think about what scripture is actually saying. It doesn't want us to just empty that and just kind of think some sort of flowery thought about one concept or one word found in a passage. It really wants us to put our brain in gear and look at that passage from all angles and really think hard to meditate about what truths we find in that passage about God, about ourselves, about what God has done and is doing in the world and what that means for our lives. And so the idea uh, that we as believers can pick up the practice of worldly meditation is completely off base. We are to meditate, but we need to do so in a biblical way. And this goes back to what you were talking about. Read God's word and write down your thoughts and observations. That's biblical meditation. The second thing is this concept of mindfulness that's come along in the past few years. You can go on to any of the app stores. You can get apps that will help you with mindfulness and walk you through this process. Again, this is more of an emptying of the mind. It's more of a mindlessness than it is anything else. Let me just kind of read to you a definition of what mindfulness is from the website mindful.org. So this is kind of kind of an unofficial website dedicated to meditation and mindfulness. So this is not our definition. This is people who practice this and advocate for this. This is their definition. So they say mindfulness is the basic human ability to be fully present, aware of where we are and what we're doing and not overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. While mindfulness is something that we all naturally possess, it is more readily available to us when we practice it on a daily basis. And so in other words, this is a process of thinking and being aware without any judgment whatsoever of what's going on. So in other words, if you're walking through the park, you need to actually be in the park, present in the park mentally. Let yourself go. Just kind of show up mentally and walk through and think about your feelings about the park. Think about the the various thoughts you may have about the park, what the park looks like, what sensations uh, are you feeling as, as you walk in the grass, as you Feel the the wind on on your face. It's another form of meditation is what mindfulness is, okay? It's this process of emptying the mind of what is real and what you actually have to interact with and then substituting that with the peripherals. But here's the deal. Life doesn't work that way. We have to stay grounded in reality. And so I know it may be popular to co-opt terms like meditation and mindfulness and to try to pull them into the Christian experience much the same way years ago people did with things like yoga. 
But these words have meanings. And we don't need to alter those meanings to make them more attractional to unbelievers by saying, oh, look, we do these things too. We need to be very certain in how we talk about how we engage our mind with Scripture and how we stay grounded in reality and how that is actually part of our process as believers to be at rest and rest in Christ. We don't let go of reality. We hold fast to reality and all of its ugliness. And that is what we then take and put into the loving arms of our Savior. And he gives us rest, not because we've done away with reality, but because we've actually owned up to it and we've let go of it and we've turned it over to him and we let his goodness, his provision, his grace, his mercy then wash over us, not in some disconnected way, but in a way that allows us to be very present and very conscious in our world and to keep taking things one day at a time while resting in him. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The idea of meditation and mindfulness from a, a worldly standpoint is a very Buddhist sort of concept where you're trying to separate yourself from the pain and suffering of the world. The problem is when you come out of your period of meditation, you're still in the middle of it. It didn't go away while you stop thinking about it. It's still there. And what God wants us to do is to learn how to bear up under these pressures and troubles of life with confidence in him because it makes us deal with them in a better way. The idea of Buddhism is to escape pain and suffering. The Bible guarantees us that as long as we're on this side of, of death, there will be pain and suffering. There is a promise for deliverance from it, but it comes only after after we pass from this life by faith in Jesus Christ, we're given eternal rest forever and ever. And so what we're striving after is not to escape, but to learn how to live faithfully in the midst of it, whether it's a, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's the, your job is on the line, whether it's missing your friends or being lonely, or maybe you, you contract a, an, an illness that's not COVID-19, but something else, whatever it may be, you, you're learning how to, to be mindful of the Lord present with you in the middle of those things. And so when you're engaging your entire mind, as you said earlier, in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God, in prayer to God, what you're learning to do is to live in this material world that we're given. We're not trying to get out of it. We're simply trying to honor the Lord when we're in the middle of it. And that's a, that's a, a starkly different a contrast to the way the world thinks about mindfulness and meditation. And it's sort of a form of escapism where God says, no, I've given you this. I'm, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. Live in the midst of this storm that you're in and honor me and I'll show you how faithful I am. That's the testimony of the Christian. If you want to rest in the Lord, that's the approach you have to take because trying to get out of it's not going to solve anything. And eventually what you end up doing, as you said earlier, Dave, is, is you try to dig inside your own heart to find answers for your troubles. And it's just, not, it's just not there. You're empty. You need to be filled with Christ. So when you go to your heart, you find Jesus. He's the one that's going to lead you to a place of rest in the midst of what's causing your restlessness. I, I would say a couple of a couple other things, Dave. Um, find a time to be grateful. Show gratitude. Gratitude causes you to think outside of yourself. 
because all that you're thankful for is coming from somewhere else, whether it's your friends, your family, your, your, your job, your church, uh, fellow church members, and they're all gifts of God. Being grateful makes you less selfish. And so one of the ways you can fight restlessness is to sit down with, again, with a piece of paper and just write down all the things that you're thankful for. And I would say, dig deeper than just the surface stuff. Dig really deep. What are you thankful for that's true today that was also true 10 years ago? Are you thankful for your salvation? Are you thankful for your, uh, your, your, your sanctification over the last 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years, whatever it may be? How has God been faithful to you through all these years of your life? Be grateful. Be thankful for what you've been given. That's going to help you rest in God's provision. And the last thing I would say, just, just to kind of close, and this is a very practical thing, and it may not seem very spiritual at first, but it actually is, and that is make a plan to do something and then see it through to the end. Um, God is a creator, God is a maker, and we're his image bearers. Therefore, we are creators and makers of things as well. We're made to work. So if you rest on the Sabbath from your labors, you're doing the very thing God made you to do. If you haven't labored, well, you don't deserve rest because you haven't worked for it, right? You're resting because you've been working hard. Well, one of the things that we can do to help us rest well is to start something and finish it. Make a plan and follow it through to the end so you can step back and see the work of your hands, the work of your mind, the work of your, your, your life, what you've invested in, you've completed it. There's a satisfaction that comes with that. That's a very good kind of satisfaction. I think God's given us that so that we can rest. We know we've done something that's significant. Maybe not significant to anyone else but us, but it's something that we've accomplished. And that's a powerful, powerful tool that we have in our um, in our toolbox to find to find rest. You rest well on Sunday because you've worked hard Monday through Saturday. And then maybe that, that's at your job. Maybe it's just a project at your house something that you can accomplish to give you that sense of fulfillment so that your rest is a little bit sweeter whenever you enter into it. Well, this has been a great discussion on biblical Sabbath rest, and I hope it's been helpful to our listeners because we never want to leave a concept like this just floating out there without bringing some, some practical application. And while you've done a great job over the past two Sundays, giving us just a good biblical foundation of what the Sabbath really is about, how Christ ultimately completes the Sabbath for us. I, I know there's people that have questions beyond that because rest is a really hot topic these days. And I think it's only going to be growing in popularity as our society continues to get more and more hectic that schedules, you know, begin to getting more and more busy. It seems like that's not possible, but you know, it, it is likely going to be that. And what true rest looks like is going to be one of those, I think, really great quests that people go on. They're going to seek it out and we need to be ready as believers to point them to Jesus and away from the world and away from the things that are going to ultimately not bring them that satisfaction and that rest. We, we may see this be 
one of those topics that opens a lot of doors for gospel conversations going and forward. Man, I would just say, you know, it's it's going to be interesting once this quarantine time is over. Everybody's going to try to go back to work, and it's going to be a scramble. There's going to be madness all around us. People trying to catch up from all the weeks that they missed out, right? And as Christians, when we go into those work environments, we're going to have to show a certain kind of peace and trust in the Lord. Um, and, and, and the world's not going to be thinking that way. The world's going to be thinking about catching up and, and making up for lost time. And if we're not careful in teaching ourselves how to rest now, when those days come, we're just going to jump in with the rest of the crowd. And we're not going to stand out from the crowd and say, guys, it's going to be okay. The Lord's in control. Let's take care of today instead of worrying about tomorrow or worrying about all the days in the past. Doesn't mean there won't be some work to catch up on. Certainly there will be. But if we're not teaching ourselves how to rest now, it's going to be much, much more difficult once we get back to whatever normal is going to be in the future. So I would encourage our listeners, look, teach yourself how to do this. Teach, discipline yourself to, to make yourself rest by carrying out some of these exercises thoughtfully, mindfully, spiritually, even physically, and you're going to be blessed by it. I guarantee you. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you again for listening to Footnotable. If you enjoy our weekly musings, please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. A five-star rating would be much appreciated, too. You can keep up with Footnotable on social media through the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts of First Baptist Church, Baton Rouge. You can find all three at username FBCBR or on our website at FBCBR.com. Know that our prayers are with you, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again next week.